Good morning, Grace Community Church. It's uh, great to be together this morning. It is, um, if I haven't met you before, my name is Danny Luffelhalls. I have the joy of serving as the pastor here at our University Boulevard campus, and uh, we truly are grateful that you're joining us to worship Christ uh, together. And I do want to give a, uh, a special shout out to the kids who are in the service today. So it is family day of worship. So kiddos, um, welcome here. We're glad that you get to be with your parents and have an opportunity to worship Jesus together. Now, I, I share that because kids, I need your help on something. All right? Need your help now. And this is a, uh, a participation thing. So, uh, so I have a question for you. We've been studying different characters of the Bible lately as a church. But you think about some of the characters of the Bible that maybe you've learned about within Grace Kids, or maybe that your parents have taught you about these characters. Here's my question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share one character of the Bible, and I'm going to ask a kid to raise your hand and tell me what is something that happened in that character's life that you think about. So when you think about this person from the Bible, what comes to mind about maybe a special event that took place in their life, right? So kids, parents, this could backfire on me, okay? This absolutely could, but we're going to try this, all right? So kids, when you think, and I'll raise your hand here, and I'll call upon you, when you think of Noah, Noah in the Bible, is there an event in Noah's life that comes to mind? Any kid want to raise their hand? Yes. Yes, spot on, all right? Can we give a round of applause here, right? Yes, thank you, okay? He built an ark. If you didn't hear that, he built an ark um, for his family and for the animals for their safety, right? Yes, so you think of Noah, you think of the ark, you think of the flood. Now let's, let's do one more, okay? Think about the Old Testament character, Jonah. Jonah, is there something that comes to mind when you think of Jonas. So we went front row on this. We're going straight back row on this, all right? Yes, sir. When I think of Jonah, I think that he disobeyed God Do you want to come up and preach today, all right? Like, hey, that is awesome, man. Okay, parents, we're going to do this every Sunday. This is just, this is too good right now. Yes, great job, man, great job. Didn't hear, so when he thinks of Jonah, he thinks of Jonah's disobedience, but also where his disobedience led him was being in a place where he ran away from God, from God's calling, and ultimately ended up in the well. So, actually, we're going to add one more on. Kids, when you think of Daniel, Daniel in the Old Testament, is there an event that comes to mind when you think of Daniel? So we went left side Front and back here. We're going right side now. The lion's den. Thank you. The lion. Let's come on. Let's give it a round of applause. Right. Look at this. The lion's den. Today we have a chance to open up God's Word, and we are actually going to learn and study about Daniel's experience in the lion's den. Now, adults. I want to encourage you here. This is more than a cartoon story. This was a real event with a real man. 
And oftentimes when we think about Daniel, we think about courage in the lion's den, and rightfully so. But today I want us to focus on his trust. His trust. His trust in the Lord during this time. We're going to unpack that today. And this is going to be our focus today. We'll put it up on the screen for you, kind of a summary of what we'll learn about Daniel this morning. That Daniel turns away from his limited perspective of his life, Think about that. We as humans have a limited perspective of life, but with remarkable trust, that's key, Daniel runs to God's all-knowing vantage point of his life. So he realizes he has very limited, a limited perspective about his life and what God's doing, but with remarkable trust, He runs to the Lord. He presses into the Lord because what he ultimately trusts in is a God who has a limitless perspective and understanding of Daniel's life and what God was doing. So Daniel chapter 6, if you have a Bible with you, I hope you do, let's go to Daniel chapter 6 this morning. I want to give everybody a heads up. We have a lot of scripture to cover, a lot of scripture to cover this morning. And it's good and it's full of truth. Daniel chapter 6, let's start verses 1 and 2 together. It said that it pleased Darius, we'll come back to Darius in a moment, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials, uh, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. There's a lot here, and we have to get some context this morning about exactly what is going on. Before Daniel is actually placed in the lion's den, we learn here in the story that Daniel was a man who was living within a kingdom. Now, who was Daniel? Let's get to know Daniel for a moment. Who was Daniel? Daniel was a man who was born in the the late 500s B.C. He was a man who grew up Jewish. He was born in Israel, but we know that something happens during Daniel's teenage years that completely changes his life. As a teenager, something took place that completely changed his life. Now, we were in chapter 6. Let's rewind just for a moment to chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. This is really important for us to understand what event took place that changed his life as a teenager. In Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, this is what it says. And then the king commander, Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Something happened here that Daniel, as he was living in Israel, again, 
Most scholars that I've read believe he was around 15 years old at this time. What happens is he was removed from Israel and he was exiled. He was exiled, uh, exiled to Babylon. So can you imagine as a teenage boy being brought from your homeland and you're brought down to a foreign land, not at your will, not out of something good that was happening to you, but you were forced by a king of another country. This is what happens to Daniel. So he goes to live now. But it's really interesting because as a teenager, he finds himself now in a foreign land. He also is brought to this foreign land with three of his buddies. If you skip down to verses 6 and 7, we're not going to read those right now. But this is when we're introduced to three of his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or if you grew up on VeggieTales, Rack, Shack, and Benny. That's for some of you here, okay? But those are his buddies who are brought to this foreign land as well. We know that he grows up and spends the rest of his life, not just a couple of years, but he spends the rest of his life living as an exile. And we also know that he has a pretty good career, even as an exile. He finds himself working with the government. And his career within the government actually advances to the point, as we just read in chapter 6, that he was one of three high officials in the land that was placed, they were placed over in a hierarchy of 120 satraps. Probably the closest uh, parallel of a satrap for us is a governor. And Daniel was one of three that was over all these 120, but he wasn't just one of the three. It says that he was the highest ranking official of the three. So it meant this. After the king, Daniel was the highest ranking official in the kingdom, even as an exile. But here's where it gets crazy. Chapter 6 of the book of Daniel, we find that his age now, he's no longer a teenager. He's not in his 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, did you know that when we get to chapter 6 of Daniel, Daniel is in his 80s? And there is a very logical uh, explanation of that as you follow the kings and their kingdoms and tracking how old Daniel would be when he found himself in the lion's den. Oftentimes in cartoon illustrations, we see him as a young man or a middle-aged man. He actually was in his 80s. He was in his 80s during this time. So here is the event, the event that is very problematic for Daniel in his life. Let's read this together, starting in verse 3 of chapter 6. It says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. I love that. An excellent spirit was in him. I think meaning that he had high character, he had integrity. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. That's really interesting here because what we find out with Daniel is, again, he had a great job. He had a lot of power, he had a lot of prestige, but he also had an excellent spirit. He had high character, he had high integrity. And because of his integrity, what happens? The king notices it 
And he planned for the entire kingdom to be underneath Daniel's leadership. Let's keep reading on. Look at verses 4 and 5. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel. Just think about that. The people that he led, the people that he was in charge of, his subordinates, devise a plan against Daniel. Let's read on here. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Now this is really interesting because the very people that he led and his co-workers here, they're jealous of Daniel. They're jealous of his career. They're jealous of the opportunities that he had. They try to find some way that they, could, that they can find fault within him, but they can't find fault within him. Now, did, it, did that mean that Daniel was perfect? Certainly not. He was a broken, sinful man like you and I. But what it meant was he was a man of integrity. And these co-workers and subordinates of Daniel, they're jealous. It reminds me of a quote from William Penn. William Pym said this about jealousy. He said, The jealous are troublesome to others, but a torment to themselves. Jealous people are troublesome to others, but they are a torment to themselves. That's exactly who these people were. And they wanted to bring Daniel down. Let's continue to read more of the story, verses 6 through 9. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are good, are, excuse me, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injection, or excuse me, the injunction, and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. It's interesting here because the setup was in place, right? The setup is here. They knew that Daniel was faithful to the Lord. They knew that he worshiped God. He followed the law of God with his life. They had set him up now. So think about it, church. If you were Daniel, how would you have responded to your coworkers? and those who report to you turning on you. How would, you. how would you have responded to that? I mean, if your coworkers today are the people maybe that you lead, that you manage, or maybe, let's just bring it into maybe more real life, your family members, your friends, your neighbors, what if they turned on you 
like these people turned on Daniel, how would you have responded? Would you have responded with entitlement of, do you know who I am? Do you know what position I have? Would that have been your response? How many of you would have responded with anger? Like you would have been angry, mad, outraged. How many of you would have responded with a victim mentality? Woe is me. Can you believe this is happening to me? How many of you would have responded with, instead of fighting, fleeing? And you're like, I'm out of here, looking for a new job, new kingdom to work in. How many of you would have responded like I would? I would just shun those people. I would separate myself from them, and I just wouldn't associate with them, which is, would not be the right response by any means. Or how many of you would have responded with, Lord, why in the world would you ever allow this to happen to me? Daniel was faithful. He was a man who pursued the Lord. And yet this is happening to him because oftentimes we have the mentality of what? Bad things shouldn't happen to who? Good people, right? And in this situation, bad things are happening to a really good man. A really, really, really good man. We don't see this as fair. So what was Daniel's response? I've been waiting all week to get to this point as a church to look at verse 10. Look at Daniel's response in verse 10. An unbelievable way and challenging way in which he responded to these problematic circumstances. Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed... He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And look what he does. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So first of all, he doesn't just run in prayer when something really bad happens. He was a praying man already. I think that is worthy of noting. But notice what he does. He got down on his what? His knees. He got down on his knees and he prayed. I think this is, I think this is so important for us to understand, believers in Christ, that his physical posture at that moment, down on his knees before the Lord, was a reflection of, of his, the inward posture of his heart. Think about that. His physical posture of humbling, bowing, humbly bowing before the Lord on his knees praying reflected of the inward posture of his heart, of his soul at that time. You think about it. Your Bible is full of examples of men and women who actually physically would go face down to the ground humbly before the Lord because their physical posture represented where their heart was before the Lord of saying, God, you're amazing. God, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled before you. God, I'm in all of you. God, I'm in desperate need of you. Think about Moses at the burning bush. He went face down to the ground. Think about Isaiah 
when he stood before God and got a glimpse of God's righteousness, his response was he goes straight down to the ground and his cry was, woe is me. I'm a sinful man, God. Because I just got a glimpse of your holiness, God. Think about the disciple John. When he got a glimpse of God, he fell down as if he were dead. He fell down to the ground. And then you go into Revelation chapter 4, and you get a glimpse of the 24 elders who are around the throne of God in heaven. And what is the response? They bow down before God as they stand in his presence, and they take their crowns off, and they lay their crowns before him. Just a, a practical way of saying, God, I am standing in awe of you and worship of you right now. God, you are God. I am not, and I am blown away. And the only thing I can do right now is take my crown off and just lay it before you and fall face down to the ground. So parents, I need some participation from you now. How many of you, how many of you, um, when you would rock your child, who's probably here with you in the service today, how many of you would sing to your child? Would sing? Maybe some old 80s and 90s hip-hop, maybe, to them? Is that, yeah, something like that? I, I remember our youngest dad, um, we, we, yes, we rocked, obviously, we rocked all three of our, our boys. We would, we would sing to them. Um, but I remember with Thad, when he was really little, he wanted us to sing an, an old Chris Tomlin song, We Fall Down. And the words are, we fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. We sing holy, holy, holy. But he would say this, he would say, daddy, daddy, sing holy, sing holy to me. Yeah, you guys are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yes. I rebuked him, I was like, pronounce it correctly, son, okay? It's, I'm just, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, okay? But he would say, daddy, sing holy, sing holy. And I, I remember hours, parents, you get this, hours of rocking your child, remember hours of rocking Thad and singing that song on repeat over and over and over. And I don't know if that song necessarily was for Thad as much as it was for Dad. Because it was during those late, late nights, middle of the night rockings, where I'm almost falling asleep singing it. And the Lord saying, just think about those words as if you were one of the 24 elders falling down, taking off your crown, and laying it at the feet of Jesus because you're so amazed at who he is. That's exactly what Daniel does right here. Things were out of his control. People were turning on him. He's 80 years old. He should be retiring at this point. And he's having to deal with this mess. And his response was not entitlement. His response apparently was not anger or outrage or a victim mentality right now. His response was, I'm falling down before this sovereign God. I'm falling down before this sovereign God. And I think what led Daniel to this place of saying, God, I'm falling down before you right now is because Daniel had remarkable trust, not in his limited perspective of his life, 
But Daniel had remarkable trust in God's infinite, all-knowing vantage point of Daniel's life. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. And I think here's the key, and we'll put it up on the screen for you, is that Daniel's hope wasn't in being delivered, but his hope was in the deliverer. That's a, that's a huge change there. That his hope wasn't in being delivered, but his hope was being, or his hope was in the deliverer. So he runs to the Lord. He presses into the Lord here, praying. I can only imagine that he was pleading with God. God, you know what's going on here. God, you see the bigger picture. I only see one little small part of this story now, God. And the only part I see right now is not good. It's actually really discouraging, Lord, and it's frustrating, and it's problematic. I wonder if Daniel had arrived at a point right now to where he thought, I'm not going to live. And this is not how I planned for my life to end here on this earth. And yet he understood that God sees the bigger picture. Daniel only got a limited picture. I would equate it to this. We'll illustrate it in this way. Just imagine if you were rafting through the Grand Canyon. If you're having a hard time imagining that, let me help you. We'll put a picture up on the screen. Anybody want to be there right now? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But you think about the twists and the turns of your rafting trip throughout the Grand Canyon. There are going to be some times when you come across some waters that are going to be a bit troublesome, some rapids. There are going to be some times when the waters are calm. There are going to be some times when it's turbulent and it's difficult. But I think this picture does a great job of, of, of really capturing the view in which you and I have when we come across waters in life that are troublesome, that are turbulent, that are problematic, when we have experiences in life that don't make sense. This is our perspective here. It's very enclosed. We can't see real far down the river, right? All we see are the twists and the turns and kind of what's in front of us here. But that's not God's view as an all-knowing, all-powerful, supreme, sovereign God. That's not his view. His view is not in only seeing a few hundred yards ahead of you in life. If we pull out the view a bit, we'll pull up another picture here. This is more God's view. He sees the twists and turns in one screenshot. God doesn't see your life. He doesn't see my life minute by minute by minute. He sees our life in one giant screenshot. And he actually sees all of human history in one giant screenshot. Our view is very enclosed, our view of life and our circumstances. God's view is aerial. 
And he sees it in all, all of it in one snapshot, one screenshot, one view. I think Daniel understood that. I think Daniel understood this is God's vantage point of my life right now. All Daniel can see in this moment was, I got 120 people that I'm in charge of that are jealous of me, and I got two coworkers who are jealous of me right now, and I think this is going to end well, not end well for me. Yet he ran to the Lord, he prayed, he got down on his knees, he prayed, and he pressed into an all-knowing, all-sovereign God who knew how this story would unfold. He didn't just hope that God would deliver him out of bad circumstances. He pressed into the deliverer. So how did this pan out? Let's look at the rest of the story. In the words of Paul Harvey there. Generational gap right there. Verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. So he didn't quit worshiping God because of the pressure and because he knew it would lead him to a bad place. He continued to press into the Lord. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction? These, these guys are a, a work, right? That anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said, The thing stands fast. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked, then they answered and said before the king, I mean, they are playing the king here. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Notice the king's response. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. He wanted to actually help Daniel out. He labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded... And Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet. And with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel, then the king went to his palace, this is incredible, and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. The next time I have a sleepless night, I'm going to use the phrase, and sleep fled from me last night. Then, at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions, and he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish, 
The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. I mean, just imagine this. Daniel's down in the den right now, and the king is over the top, and they're having this conversation. May God, or my God, sent his angel and shut the mouths of lions, the lions' mouths, and have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. I'm going to stop there for the sake of family day of worship. Parents, you can read on the next few verses. Um, God delivers him. God delivers him. The deliverer showed up in quite an incredible way. So here's my question, church. What's the point of this story? Is the point of the story lions? Is the point of the story Daniel? Is the point of the story jealous people? Is the point of the story even something good like prayer? All of those things are fine, but I would argue none of them serve as the purpose of the story. Here's the purpose of the story. Let's finish it off here. Verse 25 through 27. Notice how all of this plays out. It doesn't stop with the mouths of lions being shut. There's a bigger purpose of the story. Then, verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. Make a decree that all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. I mean, can you imagine? This pagan king is proclaiming this. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Church, what was the point of the story of Daniel and the lion's den? It's not Daniel. It's not even prayer. It's not lions. It's not jealous people. The point is God. He's the point of the story. One man faithfully pursues the Lord, presses into the Lord, and trusts in who God is. And God does an amazing work so amazing that a pagan king would say, wow, God was the point of the story. And you may not be Daniel. I carry his name, but I'm not Daniel. Yet God is still the point to your story, and he's still the point to my story. He's the point of every story. He is the story in all of human history. So no matter what your circumstances are right now in life, 
He's the point. No matter what limited understanding you have, and I have, of what's going on in our lives right now, he has a greater understanding. He has an aerial view, and he is the point. And he's working all things out for him to be known as the point of your story. That's the brilliance of Daniel's life. It wasn't about Daniel. God was the point of his story. Let's pray together. I'd love to give you a moment here as the band leads us out in one final song. Just to have time to pray, to reflect. Just pressing into the Lord. The same God who's the point of Daniel's story is the same God who's the point of your story and is here today. So kids, I would encourage you to take some time to pray right now. Parents, I would encourage you to take some time to pray right now. Men and women in the auditorium, I would encourage you to take some time to pray right now.